Uh, James, good to see you again. How are you doing? Hi, Stephen. Very well. And yourself? Yes, can't complain. Um, maybe you could just let uh, the Atwood Unleashed tribe know exactly uh, what it is you do. How would you summarize what keeps you busy? <laughs> uh, well, these days uh, I commentate and write about the way in which I believe ideology has taken over society, particularly gender ideology, and that was off the back of being uh, expelled from, from my master's degree in psychotherapy for speaking out about the way in which that ideology had infiltrated the therapeutic professions. Yeah, I think you and I are entirely on the same page when it comes to gender ideology. We had a great conversation about this before. So just before we get into all the negative stuff, which I'm, I'm sure sure we'll get to, is there a way that we could possibly make a, an argument that things are improving a little bit in the sense of we've kind of, more people seem aware of it now and have the right language to talk about it. and that's largely due to people like you who put their head above the parapet we've had like the Tavistock clinic closed down and that's involved in a lot of litigation it seems like sporting bodies are finally moving back towards some sort of common sense in terms of transgender athletes competing in certain categories uh, is there cause for optimism uh you know pains i knew you'd be a tough sell for that <laughs> uh, i'm a born cynic but yes i have to admit the things are going in the right direction but it's you know it's, it's not enough but you're right i mean you know sports has come a long way tavistock's closed mermaids being investigated by the charity commission the nhs you know putting out a statement saying that they that well their plan anyway is not to provide puberty blockers to children in the way in which they have been doing for years so there is a lot to be grateful for um but, you know, we're not far out of Pride Month. This was being rammed down our throats left, right and centre uh, by various corporations. We're seeing people still discriminated against simply for stating that men can't become women. Um, you know, we're still seeing sporting bodies allowing men to compete against women in other jurisdictions. Um, and, you know, more than anything, children are still being spoon fed this ideology in schools. I mean, I'm waiting for the government's guidance on this but I'm not holding out a huge amount of hope at this stage. We'll, uh, we'll get to that momentarily for sure, but you just mentioned puberty blockers there. So obviously for those that don't know, they were usually used for sort of precocious, uh, precocious, is that the right word? Puberty? Precocious, precocious that's the one. Uh, and then obviously they've been used in, in the sort of uh, transing of children now to sort of uh, delay, prevent puberty. And these were sold basically as, you know, time to wait, time to watch and, and, and wait. Uh, they'd buy you time. And it was also sold as completely harmless with no long-term effects. It was like flicking a switch and you could stop at any time. What sort of information have we got now that contradicts those statements? Well, if you go onto the NHS website, they say something along the lines of, we don't know the impact that puberty blockers have on a child's brain development on bone growth, etc. But we, we do, because there are studies which show that it has a detrimental impact on both of these things. Um, crucially, if a child starts puberty blockers before they've even you know, commenced puberty, which is increasingly common, and they go straight on to take cross-sex hormones, which is also increasingly common, they can be left permanently infertile. Um, you know, this is the thing that's not being spoken about here. Um, and so this isn't simply kind of pushing a pause button. You know, myself and colleagues would argue that it's a slippery slope towards greater medicalization and further harm. For sure. I mean, I've spent a lot of 
my time in a past life protesting against um, indoctrination in schools of a religious nature, you know, hardcore faith schools, some very kooky ideas, you know, creationism, things like that. And for me, this new issue of gender ideology feels you know, very similar to that, you know, the, the state or individual actors within the education system pushing a sort of faith-based pseudoscientific uh, dogma on young and, and malleable minds. And obviously I feel just from a just from a religious freedom perspective, you should have the right to, to kind of push back against that. But what, how concerning is this issue for you in terms of schools, in, in terms of what they're being taught about, you know, the human sex binary and, uh, you know, the way you can change sex? I mean, there's there's two particularly concerning aspects in terms of what's been taught in schools. The first is an increased sexualization of children. I mean, we saw that report that was put out by the new Social Covenant and Miriam Cates MP. Um, you know, children are being taught all sorts of, for example, you know, sexualized acts in school. I still remember this thing called the um, the it, it's it's by a group called the Proud Trust, and they they had these sets of dice which children in primary schools could roll, and on the dice are different body parts, and then different actions that can be carried out with different body parts. And you know, wh- what exactly are we trying to do here? Um, you know, I saw something in uh, in Germany recently in, in which German kindergartens uh, in certain provinces have said that they were going to create some sort of, um, uh, they said it was some sort of kind of masturbation room in which children could go and kind of explore their own sexuality and have a safe Red space. flag, red flag. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what the hell's going on here. This isn't, uh, this isn't uh, reasonable... Um, age-appropriate sex ed. This is, a, say, a sexualization of children. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is the gender identity. Um, you know, children are not being taught that sex is binary and mutable, um, which it is, you know, one of the core tenets of human biology. They're being taught that everyone has a unique gender identity, including themselves, uh, that the doctor simply, uh, you know, guessed at whatever sex they were when they were born and, and might have got it wrong. Um, again, it's pushing these ideas into children's minds because at that age you know you you don't really know much about yourself or the world around you so if somebody says to you well you know you can never be quite sure exactly what sex you are it all depends on how you feel inside and so often those feelings are you know um, grouped in with stereotypical uh, behaviors you know we've got young girls being told that if they like to play football and young boys being told that if they like the color pink that they might be in the wrong body so it's I mean it's really quite worrying yeah, this, I mean, I, I struggle to get my head around this sometimes. I mean, first of all, this this idea felt a very convenient idea, this idea that you could be trapped in the wrong body, which there is no scientific or logical evidence for this whatsoever. I, thought, I think it was just an easy answer to try and explain mm-hmm. a, a larger problem. But the whole sex binary thing, I mean, it, sex didn't have to be binary and immutable in, in human beings. It just is. That's just the way it is. And it seems to me that transgender or trans activists could make the same kind of transgender rights arguments, even though sex is binary. I don't understand why they are uh, a trans activist. This is so hell bent on getting the world to accept the false claim that human sex is on some kind of spectrum or it's a feeling or, it, you know, it can be indeterminable if you have a, a DSD or something like that. Why, why are they so focused on this idea? How would that help them? Uh, I mean, you used the word religion earlier, but I think it is being treated as a kind of quasi-religion. Other people are describing it as a cult, but it's uh, these individuals do seem hell-bent on having this kind of takeover, you know, the, the predominant narrative in society. 
Um, to what end? I don't. I, I don't know. I, I still struggle with this because there's a lot of very intelligent people who appear to be taken in by this stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do believe some are hell bent on causing harm and have ill intent. Uh, I, I think some genuinely believe this stuff. Um, and, and in many ways, it's not surprising because it's all that they've been fed, particularly younger people. Now in schools, universities, a lot of the mainstream media for many years, and then often their favorite brands as well are pushing this stuff at them left, right and center. So, you know, is it any wonder that people are kind of just swallowing this hook, line and sinker? Uh, but we, this is why we need to, you know, promote uh, such skills as critical thinking you know, again, particularly in schools and universities, that's gone out the window now. We've seen that in lives of cancel culture. Um, you know, we've seen this in, in some of the most prestigious universities in this country, you know, in which you, you have a speaker like Helen Joyce or someone else who dares to say that men can't become women. And you've got students gluing themselves to the ground. Uh, you know, <laughs> you remember what happened with Kathleen Stock as well. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Helen Joyce is one of the like most pleasant people I, I've spent time with. The idea that she could be some sort of evil, terrifying, tyrannical force on campus is just is just hilarious to me. But you said something interesting there about sort of corporations pushing this idea, and uh, this kind of ties into one of your big concerns, which is this sort of glorification of you know bodily mutilation. And we've we've seen a few high profile campaigns. I believe it was a coffee company a couple of weeks ago who you know uh, were displaying a big cartoon of a young girl with a double mastectomy. That's where you know you have both your breast uh cut off uh in you know a stage of transition in the hope that this will somehow help you become male with the aid of you know lifelong drugs at the same time how concerning is it that we're kind of putting this up out in public and selling it as not only normal if that's the right word but you know desirable no it's it's terribly worrying um, and it's particularly concerning that this is being done purely in the pursuit of profit. You know, when Costa Coffee uh, launched that billboard, you know, there it is, a cartoon of a young woman who's had her breasts removed, you know, necking back a nice cup of Costa. I mean, it's it's so crude and, and vulgar in that respect. You know, they're, they're willing to kind of glorify mental ill health uh, you know, in order to promote their products. Um, and they're not considering the ramifications of this. Um, and we see that from the type of responses that we get from them. So, you know, when I brought the Costa Coffee thing to light, there was calls for a mass boycott. Uh, and I, there's a lot of people who aren't using Costa anymore because of that. But they, Costa Coffee released a statement saying that they stood by this campaign they said on the basis of inclusivity and they said on the basis of wanting to champion uh, people to be who they are. And that tells me that they haven't given this the slightest bit of thought or that the people in their senior management are complete and utter idiots. Because how exactly is it supporting people to be who they are by encouraging them to fundamentally change their bodies? All right. So now's a good time to get some questions in uh, for James as well, if you have them. And we'll we'll see what, what he has to say about them. Um, I suppose we've got an issue as well, both being UK based in that when you look across the pond there, they're having a similar ideological battle with gender ideology and, and you know, transing of young children. But I suppose the, uh, the main figureheads over there appear to be sort of right leaning Christian conservatives, you, you know, sort of like you. Uh, Walsh's and Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro's Jewish, but obviously he's a, he's a mm. religious conservative. 
massive. Uh, and whereas you look over here in the UK, it seems to be predominantly coming from, uh, you know, present company accepted sort of middle-aged uh, female left-wing socialist in a sense. So, I mean, what 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 really explains that distinction? Because I, I would have imagined because of the perception of the whole Republican versus Democrat thing in the States, you would have been tarred as a sort of right league, right wing sort of religious demagogue just for acknowledging biological sex. Hmm. Uh, well, I, well, I still am labeled as those things. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I I'm make no excuses about it. I mean, I, I would. I, well, I don't like kind of placing people in these boxes in the first place, but I would consider myself right-leaning in terms of my kind of overall political view, et cetera. Um, in terms of the disparity between here and across the pond, I think it's because of the focus that those individuals have. You know, I think if you're coming from a free speech angle, um, it often, it, you know, it is the right who are championing free speech more than the left these days. I think in the UK, the predominant angle is one of women's rights, um, and a lot of women's rights activists speaking out about that. And again, we see that they tend to be more more left-leaning in general. You know, I want to try and break down these divides um, between right and left, between male and female on this, because I've written numerous times and saying that, you know, we all have skin in this game. We're all impacted by these ideologies in one form or another. Um, you know, I still find myself effectively being told to kind of stay quiet and leave this to the women, um, and I, you know, it, that, that, that upsets me. It, it offends me as well. Um, you know, we, we should be able to put aside our differences, celebrate our differences and come together to try and, you know, uh, rally against what is a very dangerous ideology that's impacting on our children's well-being. Yeah, it's a minefield. This uh, this space is and I've, I've experienced a little bit of it myself, nothing on, the, on your level. But, yeah, I, I have to sort of navigate the religious conservatism and the kind of anti-male contingent of a lot of the feminists that are, that are engaged in this as well, uh, for understandable reasons, I, I suppose. But you, you spend a lot of time as well writing and talking and pushing back on this idea of woke capitalism. And it mm. does seem now that you can't turn a corner on the high street without being greeted with some flag or some social cause or being told what the correct opinions are by you know these conglomerates that were were nowhere to be seen at you know at a time when it really would have mattered perhaps to speak up for some of some of these issues so what, what's going on here have, have corporations just suddenly become extremely compassionate and empathetic to social causes or is this a money-making scheme which third part question i suppose we, we tend to find that these sort of woke pursuits aren't particularly popular with the general public anyway so are they are they out of touch as a as another aspect to this uh the they're out of touch for the the, the the modern era maybe a few years ago at the height of this i think it probably played quite well to most of their consumers you know because things have changed quite a bit over the last few years but it's it's mindless virtue signaling in pursuit of profit um, I mean, we do have to remember that organisations like Stonewall did a very good job of infiltrating um, corporations. You know, we know uh, Stonewall's various diversity schemes that were being run. Uh, and, you know, corporations as a tick box exercise wanted to be approved by Stonewall to be able to say that they're diverse and inclusive. And so they basically had Stonewall marking their homework. Um, and so <laughs> many of them rolled out these policies and these initiatives uh, in order to placate Stonewall. And, and, you know, we're still experiencing the hangover from that. Um, so I, I put a large part of the blame on organisations like, like Stonewall. Um, but it's very interesting, I mean, with the whole Wix uh, scandal, which I 
broke a number of months ago now, you know, workplace conference and the chief operating officer essentially says that people who are gender critical people who believe in biological reality well you're not welcome in our stores anymore and it's it's so utterly bizarre that uh, a leading figure in a major corporation would say that particularly given the fact that we know from surveys etc that the vast majority of the population feel this way I mean, uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Again, we come back to this idea that they almost believe this with a sense of kind of religious fervor, that they are doing God's work. Yeah. I mean, you just see how, the, the, you know, the terms and phrases or the vitriol that they direct at, you know, women who, who dissent from this kind of uh, uh, gender orthodoxy. Um, so, I mean, I, I always tend to ask this question and, and uh, I, you know, I, I, there is a danger of being repetitive, but I do think it's interesting and I like to check myself once in a while. But you, you mentioned Stonewall there, historically did some great work for sort of gay emancipation. And at the time of the sort of gay emancipation movement, there would have been people of a certain age kind of, uh, you know, pushing it back as some sort of aberration, as, as some sort of uh, trend, perhaps as something that, m- that may have had a social contagion aspect, and and just been a you know fairly almost completely wrong about it in, in that regard. Now it feels to a lot of people who aren't particularly invested in this argument that people like you and I are essentially just doing the same thing. This is a, this is a new phenomenon, a new civil rights issue, and us kind of stuffy old conservatives are, are, are chopping out the same tropes of you know keep them away from our kids. It's just a fad. I don't want my kids catching this gender bug kind of thing what kind of things can we say to sort of differentiate us from people past who have made huge mistakes in this area well i think the key uh differentiation to make is that uh to embrace one's sexuality requires just that embracing it uh it doesn't require uh irreversible medication and surgery uh, the problem is that these things have been completely conflated. Uh, again, that's the fault of organisations like Stonewall, which push, push this mantra of LGBT, and now we've got various other letters added on after us. Uh, and so people see these things as one and the same, but they're not. You know, you've got sexual orientation, and then you've got what I'm going to say is gender dysphoria on the other side, which is a mental health condition. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm particularly concerned about the government's proposal to ban quote unquote conversion therapy, because they're going to chuck the plan is to chuck sexual orientation and gender identity into the same piece of legislation. Uh, you know, and it's we're conflating two very different things here. I think it's also helpful to look back at the history of Stonewall and the time at which they adopted the T. You know, I've done some research into this. They quite proudly stated for a long period of time that they were uh, trans exclusive. They were there for LGB. That was it. They weren't interested in in the kind of transgender community or or any of that ideology. And then there came a time in which they seemed to have achieved all they could achieve in terms of gay rights. People were beginning to question whether there was still a market for them anymore, whether they still had a role to play. There was a new chief executive officer that came on board and clearly wanted to kind of cement herself um, in the history books. And so seemingly overnight, the tea was added in. Uh, and everything changed thereafter. So I would actually say that, you know, the whole LGBT thing was simply a ploy by groups like Stonewall to remain relevant. Yeah, there is a, there's an aspect of the, the war was won to this, isn't there, I feel? And there's a way of like, what, what do we do now to, to keep ourselves in a job? Um, talk to me a little bit about the, how much the intersectional mindset 
plays into this? I mean, how, what, how would you describe what intersectionality is? And would you say that perhaps transgenderism is the, the thing right at the, the top of the, uh, the scale at the moment? Uh, well, look, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, intersectionality is simply about placing people into rigid boxes they can't escape from. And I think conditioning a kind of mentality of victimhood stasis uh, in society um, and judging people based on immutable characteristics, which I thought as a liberal society we were trying to do away from, but we're right back in it again. Um, it pays to be a victim uh, in today's society. Uh, and, you know, the term straight white male is used as a slur these days. Um, <laughs> and it's it's worrying because it, it suggests that we can know everything about someone based on their skin colour or their sex or their religion or whatever. And it's all utter nonsense because human beings, thankfully, are far more complex than that. Uh, and, you know, I'd argue that it's utterly regressive to view things through this kind of quote-unquote, intersectional lens. Has, has gender right ideology had a detrimental effect on gay rights or just the perception of gay relationships in general? Because obviously it's tried very hard to associate itself with the LGB. It feels like a strange sort of bedfellow to me. I can't understand how one can really inform the other or, or what they have in common. And as we've seen, there are many LGB groups trying to break away now and saying this is not relevant to us and our need, struggles uh, and history. Uh, but I've noticed that a lot of people now are kind of chucking the whole thing out wholesale, are getting very fed up with any sort of uh, you know, uh, representation of sexuality or push for any sort of organisations now because they see the damage gender ideology is doing. Do you think they're having a detrimental impact on other rights that potentially don't really deserve any of this? De definitely. I mean, let's take Stonewall again. They did historically a lot of very good and important work uh, and now they are utterly disgraced uh, and I think they will end up completely um, imploding in one big disgrace, you know, in the not too distant future. And, and no one will remember the good that they did. And I think that's a, that's a shame. Um, but yes, certainly, you know, this is the problem when you have this kind of forced teaming here. Um, if you're going to force those letters together into an acronym of LGBT, then everyone has to pay the price if one of the letters lets you down, so to speak. Um, and it really is forced teaming because we see at various pride festivals, you know, big placards being waved saying no LGB without the T. Well, mm. what about those members of the gay community who don't want to be associated with the T in that respect? Don't want to be part of a political movement in that respect. They're basically being told tough. You're with us uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, and gender ideology um, there's a real risk that actually it is promoting a form of gay conversion therapy because we know uh, from studies that, you know, a large proportion of young people um, who feel that they're trapped in the wrong body, who struggle with gender dysphoria, end up simply coming out as gay. Um, and so the risk here is that there will be communities and cultures in which it's preferable to be, you know, uh, trapped in the wrong body, but straight rather than be gay. Um, so, you know, <laughs> is the T literally erasing the LGB? You know, that's the question. Yeah, and in terms of the, the government now, it, it feels to an extent that they make the right noises in terms of 
what should be affirmed, certainly where clinics are concerned and things like that. Uh, schools are, st are still a, a huge issue. I mean, how just on a social level do we sort of navigate this issue with people? Because I'm quite, I'm getting to the point where I'm very, you know, I'm quite militant about it now because I, like you, I've seen the, the the harm this is responsible for. And you, you're almost tempted never to give an inch uh, in terms of, you know, preferred pronouns and things like that and not using the phrase trans women anymore and using the phrase trans identified male perhaps. And I do feel like that on a lot of occasions, but sometimes I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that there is a, a case of uh, a person here who's really going through something, is struggling, and would normally have empathy, I would thought, or, or support from people like you and I, were it not for the actions of the transgender activists who are, who are mm. making it such a big issue. I mean, how do you do? You sometimes have to stop and check yourself and, and kind of step back to get a look at the the wider picture as well. Well, yes, I mean, this is the shame of it because, you know, gender dysphoria, you know, a young person who doesn't know who they are, who feels, you know, uncomfortable in their own bodies, uh, you know, that's that's very sad indeed. And I think we need to have empathy um, for people going through this. Um, you know, it's a mental health condition. It could be hugely debilitating. I think we need to remember the individuals who are at the heart of this. Um, you know, this this is this is an ideology, but there's a real life impact as well. Um, I think we just need more dialogue and actually more debate. I don't you know, it's, it's not about less debate. I think we need more debate and less echo chambers because otherwise both sides continue to just vilify one another. Um, and we get no closer to kind of healing as a society because we're going to have to do that at some point, you know, in whatever way it, it, the pendulum swings on this issue we will have to come to a decision as a society as how we're going to deal with this and then move on and go back to, you know, hopefully cooperating, collaborating with each other rather than hating each other. I mean, take Brexit. You know, the the, the scars of that referendum are still being felt. There's still friends and you know, former friends and family members who don't speak to one another because of how they voted in Brexit. So I, I fear the same thing happening here. The problem is one side is far less willing to engage in discussion than the other. I'm forever putting out on social media, and again, to anyone listening here, I would love to have, you know, some live debates with proponents of gender ideology and, you know, try and role model that it's possible to disagree respectfully with one another. But they never take me up on that offer. And I, you know, I do have to wonder why that is. Yeah, I've seen you do this on on, on many occasions. I always offer to host as well, but like no, like you say, nobody nobody takes the uh, the offer. So just to move you away from that Brexit landmine and guide you towards another one, uh, and and we want to put aside obviously people who are you know struggling from gender dysphoria and have you know legitimate issues they're working through. So something that's become somewhat somewhat of a taboo, or people seem very unwilling to acknowledge it openly. And this is the idea of sexual fetishes playing into this. Now, what percentage of this is accounted for by sexual fetish? I don't have a handle on. But certainly this ideology works in a way that is unable on the face of it to distinguish between men of a certain age who are playing out a sexual fetish versus young teenagers who are struggling from gender dysphoria. How much of an impact is the fetish angle in your mind? Is this something that's especially concerning to you? Um, again, I think it kind of offers some insight and a bit of an explanation into what's going on here. Um I do think it's concerning, particularly because we're seeing an erosion of, you know, safe spaces, for example, for women. Um, so if there are men who have come at this because of some sexual fetish, for example, um, you know, we, we, we do have to worry about that in terms of the impact that's going to have on women. Um, you know, 
uh, I speak to some people who think that that's the entirety of this issue. Um, yeah. If we just sorted that out, dealt with those men, then, you know, everything would be all fine and dandy. I, I don't think it's quite that simple. Um, I, I think what's developed is a form of kind of social contagion, to be honest, particularly amongst children, particularly amongst young girls in schools. Um, I, I think I think for many it's it's about a lot more than just some sexual fetish. I think it it touches on where we as a society have got to, whereby we've got so much freedom and yet so little meaning in our lives and so little fulfillment in many ways. And I think you know a lot of young people, a lot of young girls, are kind of just questioning, you know, who the hell am I? Um, well, maybe you just said something interesting there that I really need to pick your brains up in the 60 seconds we've got left, which I appreciate is a big ask. But did you see that study that was shared the other day, which proudly claims that the social contagion uh, argument is complete bunk and there is no validity to it at all? Did you see that study and what did you make of it if you did? Uh, I, I, I did see it. I think it, it lacked any form of nuance. We've got studies to show that, you know, uh, multiple girls will often come out as trans within a single classroom in a short period of time. Things like internet usage and social media usage goes up just beforehand. We're seeing it follow a similar trajectory to other mental health conditions that we've seen previously, for example, anorexia, even things like Tourette's syndrome. So, no, I believe social contagion is very much present in this. You did well there in under 60 seconds, James. I knew I could count on you. Maybe you can just tell people where they can find uh, more of your content and writing, please. Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm addicted to Twitter or X, as it's now called. So you can always find me on there. Uh, I've also got a sub stack where I put out weekly articles. You just type James S's into Google. It should be the first hit. Yeah, highly recommend James's sub stack. I always check in there to find out what's going on. But thank you for speaking to me, James. It's been great to uh, to talk again. Pleasure. Nice chatting, Stephen. Speak to you soon. Take care.